I'm a big guy, so you know, so I could drink a lot. So because I wasn't feeling bad, or the next day it was like, well, that's fine. But it's not. Obviously, now we know it's not about that. Welcome to Series 2 of the One Year No Beer Podcast. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, then hit that button so you don't miss another episode. Just before we get started with today's interview, I just want to quickly mention one thing that Jen and I do every day. We were so lucky to come across this brand listening to podcasts just like this. And we are so proud to be sponsored by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is literally one scoop of this all-round nutritional insurance which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food source ingredients including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfoods scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy recovery, immunity and digestion. It's so easy. You just get down in the morning, plop open that glass, pour in your athletic greens and pow! You are doing what you need in one scoop. If you want to join us, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash O-Y-N-B and join the health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who are making a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash O-Y-N-B. Now, don't forget the forward slash O-Y-N-B because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given out to our listeners. A year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs will take with you on the go. Once again, athleticgreens.com. Don't forget, O-Y-N-B. Now let's get started with the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the One Year No Beer podcast. My name is Ruri Fairbairns. I'm just your host today. Um, and uh, I am incredibly excited. I usually am. I know you hear that a lot from me. But no, today I'm genuinely incredibly excited to be joined by an absolute superstar in my eyes, um, a total hero, an absolute legend. I could use more powerful words to describe this human being. Also ridiculously attractive, um, and, uh, you know, just amazing all-round guy. Why? Because he's my brother. Hi, Stuart Fairbairns. Well, hello there, Ruri Fairbairns. How are you on this lovely day? <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you. Fabulous. Excellent. Um, excited to be to be joined by you on the podcast and excited to have you in OYMB. It feels like it's been a seven-year journey. <laughs> to get you here. <laughs> yeah. I've been working on you for seven years. Yeah. yeah, you finally got there. Well done. Kudos. Well, what I say? Persistence beats resistance, right? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, here, here. Yeah, so Stu, um, I'm going to call you Stu now, mm, um, rather than Stuart Fairbairns. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, just an, it's an unkind name anyway. It's, mine is worse. I mean, Rory Fairbairns. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm in but, trouble with um, my full name. Exactly. So Stu is um, what a what a what an amazing character. My younger brother, one of we're five of us, aren't we siblings? We are. 
my younger brother, and um, is now one of our coaches in OYMB, a part of uh, Alcohol Free Me, doing one-to-one coaching, coming more into the fabric, as I said. Mm-hmm. So, um, Stu, why don't you, in your own words, give a bit of background uh, into who you are? Who I am? Well, um, uh, thank you for the wonderful inter- introduction. Um, that was that was lovely. Thank you. And it's great to be here. Um, as you say, it's been long coming, which is very exciting. And it really is great to be here. And I mean that genuinely from the bottom of my toes and my heart and everything else. Um, or as mum would say, the heart of my bottom. <laughs> um, uh, is um, So who am I? So, uh, well, as with Ruri, I'm sure you all know his story. So I'll just give you from my side. Is I'm from the Isle of Mull in Scotland originally. Um, which is great. Left Mull when I was 16 um, and uh, moved to Glasgow. Then I ended up doing a lot of moving around the place. Um, I lived in Ireland. I traveled the world a bit. I did all sorts of things. Um, I'm one of those people that got quite lost and wasn't quite sure what to do. In fact, it pretty much took me until my 30s to find the first foothold on a way forwards and then my 40s, interestingly, uh, the next. Um, but hey-ho, we all take our own journeys, don't we? But yeah, so uh, in 2007, I moved to South Africa, and uh, now that's where I live. Been here 14 years, um, 15 at the end of this year, which is really exciting. So yeah, so that's kind of brief synopsis, who I am. There's obviously lots more. What would you like to do? Lots, lots more. So um, yes, um, you moving away to South Africa, um, and um, you know, there was, there's definitely... Let's not get into a counselling session. <laughs> let's, not, let's not get into a therapy not, session yeah. here. <laughs> Scarred for life. Um, but there's a reason why both of us moved off the island um, pretty rapidly. It wasn't easy um, growing up on the Isle of Mull with, um, well, English accents, let's be honest. I mean, when people ask me now, I always used to say, oh, I am Scottish. But I think the reality is we're probably half English, half Scottish. Um, if you, if Both of our parents were born in England, um, but half of our grandparents were born in Scotland. And, you know, all of their side was Scottish. So it was like the merging of these two. But, I mean, we, 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 we were pretty much the first English people to settle on the Isle of Mull, um, which up until years recently had stoned to death English people um, when they walked down the village. Um, and so, so that made for an interesting beginning of life, didn't it? Well, it certainly did. And I think it, like, on, on reflection, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? But on reflection, I think it brings up a really interesting point around identity. Um, and, uh, and that's a really interesting sort of thing to explore and what that's meant. Um, you know, over the years, because equally, I mean, being brought up on Mull was magical. I mean, you know, the, the upbringing that our parents gave us was just exceptional. And I think, you know, of all yeah. the upbringings you can imagine in the world for all the foibles, our parents are human. Um, you know, it was magic. Um, it was tough as well. But, you know, I th- I also think that we were brought up with parents who always knew there was so much more and they really nurtured that within us um, to really look for more and build more and explore. And the world was kind of open to us. Um, and I think there's still, you know, if you look at sort of identities, certainly in communities, you know, we're from a small village, Dervig, and a lot of the normal tradition, the identity of that community is largely about settle down, make a family, perpetuate the community of the island, keeping that strength together, where ours was part of that. We were, And we were honoured to be part of that, but it was less that it was more like open up to the world and create bigger. And I think that put us on a really good tilt to then just go out into the world and well, do what we're doing. Yes. That was very much instilled um, from parenting, wasn't it? Like the world is flat, you can do and be anything um, was kind of the they're mantra not, to us. They're not flat earthers, just to just to quantify them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we are. I thought we were. Um, 
Um, I'm looking forward to sailing off the edge one day. <laughs> no, um, what I mean is is that there is, you know, you can be, do, have anything. Yeah, you're, sure. you're, you're at any, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so um, that made us want to reach for the stars. And so um, tell me about the, you know, from a young age or from whenever age that happened about um, it was alcohol in your life Oof, um, and when it became part of your life. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, interestingly, um, this morning to kind of prep myself for what to expect today, I listened to your interview with Gary, which was amazing. And, you know, we all love Gary. Gary, if you're listening, you're the man. Um, and um, and thank listen. you for all of your inspiration. Um, and, you know, working with him now is just mind blowing. Anyway, I, I digress. But um, and the rest of the coaching team, incredible people. But um, so, yes, alcohol was very much part of my life. I mean, I was the youngest of five. So everyone was leagues ahead of me. And because we live in the middle of nowhere and we lived outside of the village, a lot of the parties were either at our place or we went out together. Um, so alcohol was always kind of around because everyone was there even when I was younger. So even at a young age, you know, just like, uh, you know, mum and dad running the, the hotel, the, you know, there was booze in the house for the guests and so forth. So, you know, like nabbing a bottle of wine or a, or a carton of cigarettes and all of that stuff. And I make it sound introduced. Um, uh, Gary was sharing he started at sort of 18 drinking. I think for me, I mean, I don't know when I had my first drink. I was probably, I don't know, at 10, um, you know, maybe even younger. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it, it was a very party house because, again, you know, mum and dad had dad had the recording studio. So, like, we'd have bands coming up and then there's jams going on in the house and then after the recording sessions. And so it was just, it was part of the culture. And I think less of the focus on the alcohol. And I think this is a point I kind of, I thought about this morning when I was thinking about this, this um, interview we're doing today. It was less about the alcohol and it was everything else that it represented in that moment. Because to me, alcohol became connection and it became, um, you know, sort of whilst it sort of numbed my fears um, of being confident in situations, to me, it represented people having fun, a laugh, you know, music. And that evolution over time then becomes very difficult to untangle, as it is with everyone. You know, it's, um, you know, I think you were talking in an in episode about how alcohol is just like it's the roots run very deep. It's not a weed that you can just grab and rip out the ground. It's like those roots go really deep and it's you've got to take time to really understand it. And it's a subjective journey of our associations of what we bring it into. So, you know, it is a matter of having the time to go through what the associations are for you. Um, and thus, I guess, why One Year No Beer is so incredibly successful, because that's the process. And again, AFM, yeah. because it's about understanding for you what those associations are. So the journey, sorry, my journey, not in context, um, was, yeah, very young age. Um, and uh, it was just normal. Um, and uh, that led to, uh, you know, full disclosure, that led to sort of teen years, early 20s of all sorts of wonderful and delightful things came into my life. Um, uh, you know, a whole smorgasbord, shall we say, of all sorts of classes. Um, I'll just leave that there. Um, and um, and it was great fun. And it was, and it almost became a, if you were going to have fun, that was a necessity, you know? Um, yeah. But I was, as I was saying earlier, I was very lost and how I have been through my life. I've kind of not known what it was I wanted to do. And it was kind of, you know, sort of I just did what made me feel good. Um, and I had this underlying deep and desperate need to make others happy. Um, so I became a yes guy and I put everyone else before me. I didn't know I was doing it. I was mm -hmm. just being me. Um, but it was just that was always the way so it was just it was you know whatever someone else wants to do if they had they wanted to do it in a different way well we did it that way um and I didn't ever feel shunned about that it was just that was my choice to do that um and it was only much later in life you know I used obviously booze in lots of situations to make myself to numb it um and also yeah. just to kind of get past it and um 
Yeah, and had lots of traveling, and it was really a big connection thing. Um, it really was, uh, but deeply buried. And then through this journey of my 30s, um, I've had a bit of a rough time um, the last five odd years, six years, which obviously you're aware of, but it's been very difficult in my my role that I've been in, in the company that I've been working for. There's nothing wrong with the company. They do incredible work and it's amazing stuff. But I just, I hit the roof about five years ago and I've not been able to spread my wings and it's been hard, really hard. And that led mm. to the drinking getting worse. Um, okay, before you, yeah. just before you go down that road, we'll come, we'll come back onto that. Um, and uh, we're talking about, we're sort of setting the scene mm. and, and, you know, there's being one of five in a family. And I mean, I was fourth and I felt, you know, like I, I, I could I never got any attention, even though I was the best at trying to get attention. <laughs> um, so I don't know how you got on because um, it was a busy household. And um, it was a it was a very busy house, and um, you know, so so there's all this stuff. Well, we all have this stuff mm. um, from childhood, and you know, met the partying scene, which was very much fueled into um, alcohol and, and whatever other things. Um, but did you ever feel like you had a problem? You know, did anyone say to you you had a problem? Did you ever did you ever think, oh, I should really get a check on this? You know, in those younger years, or not in the younger years? Um, no, no, I can no, I can say quite quite confidently, not in the younger years. Um, it was probably the case, um, but uh, but I know I never no no alarm bells ever went off um, yeah. for me. I, I think a large part of that was because I could handle it. I'm a big guy, so you know, so I could drink a lot. So because I wasn't feeling bad, or the next day it was like, well, that's fine. But it's not obviously now we know it's not about that. Um, mm, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. So and then um, bring me through um, to the sort of decision to move to South Africa, which was which which is a big one. What was going on in your life, and what took you down there? Um, so, oh, great question. I mean, the, the answer that I usually give people, which is basically the truth. Um, uh, well, affected. I've only had three girlfriends in my life. The third of which became my wife. All of them were South African. Um, and, um, <laughs> you had a real love for South Africa. Oh, yeah. Well, interestingly, in my upbringing. Um, Mum and I always had this connection to Africa and I couldn't really explain it. I, I had no idea, mm. but I just had this thing inside of me that was just, there was this drive and this just attraction and curiosity about Africa. I, I had no idea why I just did. And mum shared the same thing. So we often like talked about it and stuff. And, um, uh, and then as I was living in Edinburgh, um, and <laughs> I was chatting about this this morning in a huddle is that, you know, I was I, I was lost in what I did. I didn't have a direction. So I took the jobs that would pay the most. So I had all the jobs that no one wants to do. So I was doing like data entry awful, or working in a mailroom or I was doing yeah. demolition at one point. I was doing manual labor on just like knocking down buildings um, and, you know, just like not obviously what was my, you know, my shining light for the future. But it was just, you know, that's that's where I was. And. At one point, I went back to Mull, and there is a bar in Tobamori called McGochens that I went to, and I met a young lady behind the bar um, who was South African, um, and that was Liana, who I'm sure you remember. And uh, yeah. we hit it off, and uh, it was one. It was such a win for me because all the boys, all the lads on Mull, really wanted Liana. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so she. Had, anyway, um, so then um, after she then moved to Edinburgh with me, and then that was my first introduction to South Africa, and I came across because you can get a visitor's visa for three months. I came across for three months. Absolutely loved it. Petrified because, I, you know, on the streets, I mean, now suddenly everyone's a different color. So that was something to get used to. And then I was hearing all these horror stories of how dangerous it was. And mm, like, I didn't yeah. even leave the flat for the first three weeks. Um, you know, just like <laughs> hiding. Um, and then anyway, and I've just completely fallen in love with Cape Town. 
and I said to myself, one day I'll live here. And then I went back to, um, unfortunately, our relationship ended, unfortunately, and um, I went back to Scotland. And uh, then it was a number of years later, I remember um, speaking to friends and saying, I had this very good friend who was a bit of a confidant and said to her, like, I'm ready to meet someone and a, a partner. This is some years later. And we went traveling um, f around New Zealand, which is lovely. Um, and we had some time there. And then when we came back, she went back to Mal. I was living in Edinburgh. She said, she phoned me and said, Stuart, I found her. <laughs> so I was like, okay, interesting. So then I went up at the weekend, as I did most weekends, I went up to Mal, took the train up and three hour train, it was a lovely train ride, get up to Mal and then um, guess where she works? Behind the bar at McGoggins. So this is my <laughs> pickup joint. And then I saw this girl who was um, somewhere around about five foot, if a little bit less, um, this tiny little girl, South African girl behind the bar. And it was just like, wowza. And anyway, again, all the boys wanted her and then I got her. So that was another win. Um, and then that was Sid, who I was with. Um, and then she then moved to Edinburgh with me. It's a bit of a pattern forming here. And then... Um, we then moved to South Africa together and uh, I got a, a long-term visa with her. And then I came across um, and living in Cape Town. And then when I got to Cape Town, I was, uh, I was not sure what to do. I, I was, first of all, I was restoring furniture for people because I loved woodwork. So I was restoring antique furniture, which I was really enjoying. And then um, I was doing lots of painting at the time. So it was suggested like, why don't you go to art school? I was like, well, that could be a good thing. I really love doing art. So then I then applied to art school and then I got into the Ruth Price School of Art, which is where I did my diploma. And, uh, which was lovely and then we Stacey and uh, um, Sadell and I broke up during that time which is fine but then when I finished my course I was like okay cool coming to course let's let's take on life and I realized that a diploma in fine art qualifies you for no job on the planet other than teaching art mm -hmm. or being an artist neither of which I wanted to do um and then that I, you know something needs to happen and it was actually you who then introduced me to a chap who wanted to open up a sort of second branch of a social media company in Cape Town um, and I had that meeting and then I was given the opportunity to do that, which that was like a massive pivotal moment for me um, that took me from floating. And, you know, whilst I was very creative, I've also got a very analytical mind and very strategic mind. And that's the bit I think that was really missing at that time, Yeah, uh, which led on to then doing this marketing that end, ended up ending. And then I moved really into the marketing world. Um, and then I was and I was working with an amazing team who were really at the forefront of making things happen. It was super exciting. Um, I was part of a digital agency that was part of a group of agencies. So all of the different agencies covered all the different disciplines of marketing. Um, and myself and this girl called Nikki came up with a sort of concept of what about having integrated marketing. So at the time now this is common practice, but then even social media was just starting to be used by brands. It wasn't even. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, then we started working on integrated strategies. Um, so we then created almost like an extra department that sat in between all of these six agencies and we became the center. So when we were proposing to a client, Nikki and I would be in charge of pulling all the different strategies together from TV to newspaper to billboards to digital to all that jazz that would then get and we would then present it um, to the clients. And it was incredible, really pioneering stuff and lots of strategy, really creative. And I loved it. Lots of parties lots of <laughs> boozy-tastic with clients, lots of boozy-tastic with colleagues. You know, it's just like mm -hmm. award shows and all this all the time. So um, very boozy life. Um, and that was just normal. So again, at the time, you don't question it because everyone's doing it. In fact, they're doing it worse mm -hmm. than you. So you think, I'm actually okay. Um, I'm fine, yeah. And because you're making lots of money, it's like, well, it's fine because I've got a personal trainer. So I go there and, you know, I eat broccoli twice a week, so I'm good. Um, you know, but it's – anyway – <laughs> um i've sorry i'm kind of dominating all of the airtime here but um yeah so that's kind of well it's, it's your podcast so that's good <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so that was kind of up to that point i mean do you want me to just carry on as i'm 
Yeah, no, I think uh, um, so many really interesting um, um, things there and, and that change of identity or shit, because, you know, I can remember how lost you were. Um, and I mean, we all have been, so there's no, absolutely no judgment there whatsoever because, um, but, you know, so, and there was sort of investigation into these things and, um, you know, that is tough, you know, going through that um, transition in life is tough and you keep trying different things and stuff like that. We'll get onto that again in a minute. Did you know that we offer loads more support? Yes, I'm talking about time with coaches, Zooms, meeting other people, locking eye to eye, meeting awesome OIMBers who are on the same inspiring journey as you. All of those things are available in AFM. We created AFM as a close, small community that is really there to help people master changing the relationship with alcohol. So if you're looking for a little bit more support, you want to meet more OYMBers, or you just want to take your alcohol-free journey to the next level, then check out oneyearnobeer.com forward slash AFM. And if you put in the discount code PODCAST10, capital letters, podcast 10 will get you 10% discount of joining AFM. One thing I wanted to put into context is, you know, it was very, it was very different growing up on the Isle of Mull because you sort of had the, the, the local clique and, and, and um, we were sort of not really fitting into that. Of course, you know, it's changed a lot now mm. um, over the years, but at that time, um, we were sort of sitting on the outside of that. And um, so when uh, an opportunity for an attractive lady, which was usually tourism season, it was usually a tourist um, during the six months. And that was sort of like the only time. And you had to absolutely pant. So I'm not surprised you repeated the behavior of finding somebody and dragging them out of McGoggins and taking them away to Edinburgh. Um, <laughs> because that's the only way you could secure that they were that, that somebody else wasn't going to pant on them. Um, so, um, but also... Oh, it's fun growing up on Mark. Um, but you, you, um, yeah. So we're 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 in South Africa now, and you've had a complete shift into the business world and 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 marketing and doing really well and and becoming very successful at that. Um, and then, so what happened? Because you suddenly made a huge transformation again. So, so I know the story. You know, bring us up to speed of this total flip on its head again. Yeah, I, li- I like to flip life on its head, apparently. <laughs> apparently so. Um, I don't realize I'm necessarily doing it. It's good. Um, what happened was, um, um, I'm going to try not to waffle on for too long, but basically I was, so I, at the time when I was doing this social media company that, that came along and I was, before I moved into the big marketing world, um, I'm just going to explain first a very important part of today, um, i.e. I, my wife, um, and how yes. that happened, which was, um, so a very, very, very good friend, Lizelle, um, who's like my absolute sister. She- Lizzie! Big shout out to Lizzie. Mutual, very good friend. Hugs, love. Yeah. Love you, Lizzie. Um, and <laughs> she's from Cape Town originally, met her in Scotland. She'd been on Mull, um, so met her though. She was working there. And then she moved back to Cape Town, which I was overjoyed about because then we were reunited. And um, she opened up a, a co-working space, which is called the Cape Town office. If you ever, I'm going to do a bit of a plug here. If you ever find yourself in Cape Town and you're looking for office space, go to the Cape Town office.com. Um, yep. It's incredible. Yeah. 
it's uh, it's got i mean it's like the google offices there's arcade machines breakout rooms there's even a podcast studio there really really good co-working space like just really check it out um it's it's epic stuff um i absolutely love it but so back in the day when she was just coming up with that concept it was one floor of a building that she had and she's now got three and i was basically helping her and in for me in return for me helping her kind of run the space and sort stuff out um she gave me office space connection to the internet because at the time i was a bedreaded hippie um, i had dreadlocks that were down to my bum and i walked around barefoot um, welcome to the business world. Um, so, <laughs> um, so this is before obviously the, the next part of the integration strategy happened, but um, she gave me that anyway. So I was working there nine to five every day um, and I had to walk to work. So from my, where I was living in Cape Town to the office was a half an hour walk. Then uh, in the evening is when I would do the social media work because the contracts that were bought, by, that were got by the social media company were in other countries. So the time zones were different. So I started at 8 PM and I'd finish at midnight. So uh, well, after doing reports about one o'clock in the morning. So this was seven days a week for the social media, five days a week for the office. Um, and uh, no, sorry, it was also seven days a week, five days. I can't remember. Anyway, so I, I had very little sort of free time. At some point, um, I got invited to go to a cocktail bar um, one of the nights when I was finishing at one in the morning. And uh, it was the chap who I was running the social media company for. And he said, come on down. He paid for my taxi. He said, come and join us. So I went down to go and join them. As I arrived there, there's this massive table of people. Um, and I see him there and some of the friends. So I'm like, hey, I don't know everyone else. There's about 25 people there or something. Um, and there's one seat available, like on the far side of the table. So like, come join. So I shuffle my way around and I sit there. They are all plastered and I've just arrived. So um, <laughs> the, the chap in question just orders me like five cocktails and 10 tequilas to catch up. Um, and uh, anyway, so I sit there. But it so happens as I'm as I'm oiling myself up, not literally, I mean, with alcohol. Um, <laughs> let's get started. Um, there was if you're watching on YouTube right now, you can see this in action. So go to our YouTube channel. <laughs> New for you, body oil brought to you by. Um, so um, there was a young lady who was there sitting beside me and I found out it was her birthday and started chatting. And as I was sober, I was kind of not on the same level at all. And I was struggling to converse because they were all like quite, they were extremely well oiled. Um, and uh, so I was kind of sitting there and this young lady loved sparklers, you know, the little firework thingies. Um, so she, she's bananas about them. So we were burning those and they've got the, the wire thing in the middle. So I plattered one of them and I made it into a ring and I gave it to her for her birthday because that, you know, I was sitting there effectively bored because I just couldn't be on the same level as these people as much as I was trying to catch up. Um, anyway, long story short, that young lady is now my wife of eight years. Very <laughs> wow! And, uh, Best chat up line ever. Yeah, Turn a sparkler into a, ring. a that's it, guys. into yeah, a ring, yeah, plaited ring. If you're struggling to to find a partner, that's that's how it's done. Apparently, this is. I think you should um, create a little YouTube video for this and how to pick up girls. I've only had three girlfriends in my life. I obviously know what I'm talking about. Um, the, um, the yeah, so that was great and if you hear her version of the story um it's much shorter she just basically says she was drunk and i took advantage i can't remember <laughs> that's great thanks so uh, i then drive into my diatribe and everyone prefers stacy's version but anyway so um yeah uh, long story short was i was working those the day the days uh, all day at the, at the office and then the nights so when we had dates we could we only had um 45 minutes for a date because i had to go from the office walk home half an hour get changed come down for the date and we went to a place, a, a burger joint on Long Street in Cape Town. We'd have three quarters of an hour to have a burger and have a learn about each other, first dates. And then I'd then have to go back home, get changed, go back to the office to do the next part. 
Um, and this was for six months. I did this. We had 45 minute dates for six months. Um, wow. and, uh, and, and it was tough, but it was awesome. But she started then coming to the office and she would sit there whilst I was working. And I was, again, poor hippie. So I had no food. So she was bringing me <laughs> food to the office and she would sit with me. And anyway, it just sort of it developed over that. And we just had this wonderful time. And it was really incredible. And I even at the point where at one point I was walking home from the office and I had been lent a laptop and an iPad and a cell phone to get me through so that I could do the work. And one night I was walking home and I got mugged and they stole everything. Fortunately, they didn't hurt me. But then from that, I was wow. obviously petrified and technology-less. So I was then given another computer to use by Lizelle. Thank you again, Lizelle, you're amazing. Um, and I was too scared to walk home at the end of the night. So for a good four months, I slept underneath my desk on a rubber floor, classy stuff. Wow. Um, and, um, but through that, a large part of that, Stacy stayed with me. And even though I was down and out hippie boy, she stood beside me anyway, which is quite incredible. Um, so yeah. uh, that was a really tough time. That was probably the toughest time I've had in my life, actually. Um, no food. Mm. The longest I went without food was nearly three weeks. Um, I had wow. I had just I had a bag of rice, <laughs> which I had like much like in um, Into the Wild, where he's marking the bag of rice. I, I can definitely yeah. I can I can relate to that. Um, so that was an interesting time. Um, I just the choices I'd made. But largest thing it sort of showed to me was like floating around doesn't necessarily work, and I wanted to get more serious, and I didn't know what direction. Um, and the, but yet i still always had money for booze and cigarettes go figure um <laughs> yeah the priorities you know, exactly and i knew but isn't that interesting um that you know again it kind of fits back into identities but it's sort of the priorities that we have um because of avoidance um and and mm. and fears that we kind of just we slap a plaster on it and it's okay if i just go la 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 la, la um when actually you know you if you just take the short-term pain you're going to have long-term gain um uh, whereas what I was choosing was the uh, the other short term gain for long term yeah. pain, but which I think a lot of us do all a lot of the time, yeah, um, um, in in various ways in our absolutely. lives. So yeah, spot on. Absolutely, absolutely. So sorry to get to the actual question you asked was that pivotal moment, which was none of that. That was all just build up. So I hope you're sitting comfortably. Um, the, <laughs> um, the, um, the change I think you're talking about was when I was doing the marketing stuff. So from there, I managed to get the job. I don't know how I managed to get the job. They asked me to propose a social media strategy. If I'm totally honest at the time, I wasn't sure what social media was. Is that people sitting around and reading newspapers together? Um, you know, what, what is social media? And um, <laughs> I had to just go onto Google and just read white papers and just learn what this thing was as fast as possible. Um, and I did this presentation to a wonderful chap who then phoned me back and they had apparently 25 candidates and he phones me back and I got the job, um, which is amazing. So, you know, it was, it was time to cut the dreads off and put some shoes on. Um, and, um, Brilliant. and then I went in and I'll never forget my first day. I met this chap called Reynard. And if you're listening, Reynard, you are the man. Um, and he was in strategy and incredibly intelligent guy. Um, I mean, massively intelligent, a bit of a sort of prodigy level, intelligence um and we really clicked up we we hit it off on the first day he just came straight up to me and said who are you and what do you do here um and we just had this great chat and then he and i really bonded and he was part of that whole integration department development and stuff and we worked together very closely and we had lots of fun in boardrooms like have a problem awesome let's go and sort it out go to the boardroom smash it on a whiteboard great. um and then the big change that you were talking about was um, I, I, the rat race was getting too hectic. The, the, the thing that kind of tipped me over the edge, which is which is interestingly relevant, um, was I was part of a massive campaign that was going to be a huge account for us, which was going to be is for Diageo and all of the Diageo mm -hmm. brands for the entirety of Africa. 
Um, so that Diageo is lots of alcohol brands for those that don't know. So it's like Smirnoff and all sorts of these brands, loads of them underneath yeah. in this house. Um, so uh, I was part of the integration strategy for that, flown to London for the proposal, did the presentation, uh, which was nuts. I mean, the levels of presentations we're doing is it was floors of a building. So we presented three different brands and now one was Smirnoff Vodka, one was something else and something else. I can't remember what they were. Um, and I think one was absolute. I can't remember. Anyway, but um, each floor was set up in the branding that we had put together for each brand. So you walked in and the entire floor of this wow. building was Smirnoff. And it was the Smirnoff experience. Yeah. So everything that we'd strategized, you had that experience. Um, you know, um, uh, AR was just coming out. Um, so we were working with augmented reality. And it was just this incredible experience. So it was, it was awesome um, and great fun. And the pitch was great fun. And we smashed it out of the park, got the account. Brilliant. Got back to South Africa. Now we get started working with this team of there was 25 of us on it from all the different agencies and then myself and Nikki and as the center point and talking to the clients, all this stuff. What I realized was all I was spending my time doing was looking at the day part of an individual. So looking at Rolani, Sipo, Nonschleinschler as they're going through their day. These are names, by the way, as they're going through Those their names. Day, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that, is that Nossa? Nossa um, well, very. So Zulu, the, the clicks are a lot of different languages, but, um, but that was probably more right. Zulu side um, or Nossa, yeah. Um, but, can you give us some Zulu or some, some, um, you, do you know what? I, I haven't us... done it for so long. I've kind of lost, but like Sawabona is like, good day. How are you? And, and Johnny means, how are you? Um, Salagashle um, means um, see you later, or Lalagashle means sleep well, which is very nice. Um, Beautiful. Um, I can do very broken speaking because when I run the lodge, I had uh, Zulu staff and also staff, so I can kind of I can ask someone to pick up a broom, <laughs> um, <laughs> clean the floor. Um, but um, so where was I? So I was spending yeah. all my time, you know, looking at uh, just making individuals basically interrupting their normal day. So they would they would go to the bar for a nice cold glass of Coke because it's very hot in Africa. So in the afternoon. But I would make sure that I had interspersed through Sipo's day that he'd seen a billboard, heard on the radio, experienced uh, a flyer, all of this stuff. So that by the time he gets to the bar, he's rather going to rather than ordering a Coke, he's going to order a rum and Coke and he's going to get a pint and he's going to get a shot. All he went in was for a Coke, but because I can, and understanding the psychology of individuals, you can seed in to make sure that they make that decision and buy your brands, not even just our rum, my rum, my, my vodka. And I was exceptionally good at it, like mind bogglingly good at it. I had a problem with that. It took me a while. Something wasn't sitting right. And I realized that all I was doing was already making an alcoholic nation, even more alcoholic. Um, I was making fat yeah. cats richer and, you know, Africa has a major alcohol problem, as do many countries uh, yeah, the whole world yeah. over. Um, but it's to the point here where it's like much like I was spending my last savings on it. Unfortunately, there's a thing here, especially with the men of African communities, is that you'll find frequently that salaries are paid to the women, not the men, because if you give it to the men, they'll gamble it or drink it. Whereas if you give it to the women, they'll likely use it as you're meant to. And that's a massive sweeping generalization. But often the case so that's when i was chatting with stacy and saying a change needs to happen um, it took two years um but i had this one client that we were working with that was a pro bono client for me um and this company was they do um volunteering projects so they bring volunteers from all over the world to do conservation projects and community projects and all this stuff and um, so we got in touch with them and we had a meeting just to see if there might be opportunity for us to come in and they were super keen and at that time they offered us um uh, running a base in Botswana um, in the Tuli block to go and run their location there and we weren't really ready so we said no to it at the time we were getting married 
the year after. So that we got married in 2014. So that must have been 2013. We had the conversation with them. Um, and then uh, we didn't do it then. Anyway, we just kind of chatted about it, what we we're going to do. Long story short, in the end, we did. We did end up taking a position with them. And that's when we in. Uh, it was the end of 2014. So we got married in March and then we had August off between started and September. This. We started. And then we had basically six months in one location, and then uh, which was great, and it was beautiful. I mean, we went from living in Cape Town City into living in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by lions, elephants, you name it, big fire reserve. Sorry. No, no, absolutely, and amazing, and um, I want to get into into that, but I just want to go back um, for a second because there's a there's a, there's an element we've missed off slightly here, and that is that actually conversation 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 um, conservation was actually in your soul. Yeah, sure, um, yeah. And that was because, well, why don't you tell a bit of you, you, your words, because I don't want to do all the talking, but we actually grew up in conservation. So uh, explain a bit about that. Okay, cool. Well, um, Pops and Mum started, Pops, name for Dad, um, started a, a whale watching company. Well, he, before, so in 1982, started a whale watching company. But prior to that, um, Dad was running fishing trips, deep sea fishing trips, so taking people out, um, which is incredible, and angling um, stuff they were doing. And uh, whilst out there one day he had uh, a whale or an animal, massive animal come over towards the boat and he wasn't sure what it was. And it basically swam underneath the boat around and around and around. And the guys had their lines inside the water at the time and the whale didn't touch one of the lines and it's filament lines. So you can't see it underwater, but the whale was like close to the surface. And anyway, he got super curious. And then that kind of led towards him finding out that these animals, there was little being done about them, uh, little information about them. And then also sort of marine conservation generally um, and, and they lost the UK, never mind around Mull. Um, and then he started sort of bringing in different scientific entities to then help out um, and started Sea Life Surveys, or Sea Life Cruises, sorry, originally, um, which then evolved into that. So we were obviously brought up crewing the boats and learning about how research is done and lots of scientific students and scientists there. And so that was a big part of our upbringing. It's a very important part. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I guess that was calling you um, yeah, I guess so. and, uh, in a way. And and I, I, the reason why I bring this up is because I know with my own life is that um, when we start listening um, to the noise inside, um, often the noise is telling us that we're not living right. Mm. And that was absolutely for me an oil broking. Um, mm. And it's difficult because money, success, and all that money brings is very, very good at quelling the noise. It's easy to drink, numb out the noise mm. when you've got this flow of cash mm. coming in. And, you know, for me, it was a windowless office, central London, earning the big bucks. Um, and uh, but I was I was mm. quietly really unhappy inside. Yeah, sure. um, and when I started listening to that, that's where it all changed. So I think that was a very similar thing for you. And I guess, again, uh, as we are as humans, you, well, you and I specifically, this is very much down to our upbringing, right? The way our both our parents communicated emotion to a big level. And I'm not mm. talking about shouting and raging, but they were able to, they were very emotionally intelligent. Mm. They were very, they were both very coachy, counsel-y mm. humans. Um, um, you know, very much dad came from, from that angle as well. And maybe not so much with his kids. Uh, oh, no, 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 with his kids. Um, so we, we had this sort of background layer of parenting that has been... Um, 
you know, very open to talking about emotions mm. and discussion and knowing ourselves and intuition and wisdom and guidance and things like that. I think that's in us very much. Would yeah. you agree with that? Oh, very definitely. On both on both counts, the, the, that openness and the, and the conservation, because I think how things have been presented to us in life is such a way that it's not forced on us. It was, although it kind of was there, but it was, it was, you were given the option um, and, you know, at the same time, we were taught hard graft and we were taught, you know, to sort of get stuck in and, um, which, you know, very grateful for. But absolutely. Um, I mean, if you look at every one of us, we're all very sort of uh, open, empathetic and emotionally intelligent, as you say, people, um, all five of us. Yeah. Um, or seven of us, mum and dad, um, uh, which is yeah, we are. very grateful for. Um, so, yeah, so that that will have led on. But I think the point that you said there that really resonated with me was that 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 knowingness um in in yourself of of something's not right um and i think that in in big situations and small is something for us to really listen to and paying attention to what's going on like you look at your own uh, you know the niggles that are going on like you know when something's not 100 percent right um i think there's a you know there's a lovely sort of thought when you look about when when we're when you're sort of i, I did a, a lifestyle recently on boundaries um check that out and just talking about how we are our, our nose um you know we as a, as a youngster, only at the sort of terrible twos, you learn your first no, which is no. Um, and that no that we all know. And then as you get older, you become a teenager, your no gets a bit quieter because you're trying to fit in and you're trying to be cool and all that stuff. So then you first sort of, that's when you start like drinking and doing all the naughty things. Cause it's just like, you want to fit in and be there. And, um, and depending what level or hierarchy you're in the hierarchy of the group, you know, how much you'll be partaking there. And then as you, it's only sort of skipping forwards, I'm sort of skipping across the top. But as you get to your sort of late 30s, 40s is when your no comes back. But it's one of the resentment um, as opposed to one mm. of constructive. So it's being really careful and listening to what's going on. So it's only the only reason it's become resentment is because you've, you've ignored those twinges of your body talking to you or your intuition talking to you and saying something's not right here. Um, and we put it off. Like you feel an ache and a pain in your body for a period of time. And certainly if you're brought up in the 20th century, a lot of that was stiff upper lip get on with it just like you know tally ho everything will be fine what what um and you know it's, you know and, and it's not like you need to listen if something's going it's on it's like you need to listen to it um and you know this is your journey and I, well you just you just covered you just covered uh, i mean anyone in their 40s and above that is the modus operandi it, it, and certainly as you go 50 and then 60 that that is absolutely the age of just get on with it and mm. um, you know suppress emotion, don't discuss this stuff, yeah. and that is absolutely your as a huge enemy in changing your relationship with alcohol okay. because um, and and but also those two are so hand in hand that the only way you can put a lid on it is by drinking. But then when you remove the drinking, that stuff comes up, mm. and that's a big thing for people in it. That I mean, mm. well, we'll talk about that when we? we'll talk about how coaching is so pertinent to this this journey yeah um, but i want to get back into to your unless you were going to add something there no 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 i was gonna i'm just fervently agree yeah excellent so i want to get back into your uh, your story because now we've made this huge shift again this inner inner calling to get back to con conservation you know i remember you very clearly here you've you've said it quite short but it was really big for you and i pushed hard against you you know because i was 100 percent commercial businessman i was you know, absolutely blindfolded by being the number one broker. It's all about making money, all of that. That's where I was. And so I was here going, Stuart, what the hell are you doing? Not quite as so um, um, blatantly, but I know that I was feeling it. And we are in very attached. So I know we know, we don't have to say it to yeah, each other. We feel it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's a big, big, big move to do. So yeah, tell us about the move. 
Um, <clears throat> it was hysterical. So we had to sell over all of our furniture in Cape Town. And uh, what we had was, I didn't have a car, because um, in Cape Town you don't need one, it's public transport. Um, so uh, Stacey had an Opal Corsa, which is... What do you call it in the UK? Okay. Yeah, Vauxhall Corsa. Um, small car. And that's what we moved with. And our entire lives inside this poor car. Um, her name's Maggie. She's still with us. Um, which Stacey's had that car for 20-something years. She's amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, shout out to Opal Corsa. Um, uh, so, anyway, so that was, that was fun. Moved to... So, yeah, we moved to this reserve called Tanda, which is in KwaZulu-Natal, and uh, we had to take over a staff, and as you... That hasn't to- narrowed it for anyone. Could you give... Could you... Could you na- somewhere in Africa here. Yeah. <laughs> South Africa. Whereabouts? Yeah, South Africa. Okay, in South Africa. South Africa, yeah. Um, well, KwaZulu-Natal, Between I don't know what to call it. That's what it's called. Um, so, if you have um, Durban, it. Um, no. then you go north. Um, for yeah. uh, From Durban, it was five hours north, I think. Um, if you okay. know, St. Lucia is about an hour's drive from Tanda Reserve. Um, with, so up towards Joburg type stuff? No, no. So it, it would be Not Joburg is, let's say, South Africa and Joburg here. Yeah. Um, Tanda would be yeah. here on the coast. So Durban's okay. down here. It would be sort of up here. Or not on the coast. It was a bit inland, but St. Lucia's on the coast, so close-ish. Um, yeah. Richard Bay. Got it. Thanks. I mean, the, the closest town was Kishui um, and Filosi. I don't think that helps. Um, <laughs> yes! Flifuthi <laughs> and Filosi. Did the person who named that have no teeth? Is that what happened? Indeed. African. I should name it for. Oh, yeah, it's African. I'm sorry. Sorry. On this edge of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, uh, do you know what it actually means? Uh, it's just it's H L U W E twice. Um, so H L is just pronounced Shishui. Um, and then Shishui and Falozi wow. is actually the reserve, so not the town. So Shishui and Falozi is a really interesting place. It's actually where, um, when rhinos were in major problem, they actually did a big breeding program there, especially of white rhinos, and it actually saved rhinos. So that reserve is really, really, really important. So a lot of the rhino populations you have around Africa now came from Shishui and Falozi. Little fact for you. Um, so Very cool. We went in, and I obviously had to learn a lot. So I'm now running a team of guides. I've got a lodge team, so I've got a kitchen team, housekeeping team, maintenance team um and i'm running game viewers an army of game viewers so trucks for taking people out i've got buses i've got all this stuff i've got volunteers coming from all over the world that lodge at the time could take 30 um and then i had a staff project staff of i think it was 10 um and all of this stuff i just had to learn you know and i had to like kind of manage these people with stacy um and it was amazing i mean we were in the middle of a reserve so it's just this this lodge was on a hill and it was just looking at across this valley that was just beautiful. And it's full of animals, there's lions everywhere and elephants and you know, wow. ridiculous cheetahs. And we just found ourselves there. And we were on cloud 50 million billion. Um, my salary at the time was cut six times, I think. Um, mm. But I needed to do it. Can't tell you why, I just needed to do it. Um, and it was more important because Stacey and I talked about it and we said we wanted to, I, we don't want to spend our lives saving for spending our money when we're in our 70s or 60s. We want to live life. We obviously want to make sure that when we get there, we have we have everything to take care of ourselves, but we want to live life. And that was very much the sort of impetus for making this. And equally, Stacey is incredibly planned. We're, we're an amazing team. She's a she's a planner. In, in school, they used to call her Stacey Lacey. And Lacey in Afrikaans means list because she just writes lists for everything. She's very planned. <laughs> everything. She's a walking, talking Excel, Excel spreadsheet. It's incredible. Um, <laughs> Uh, Brilliant. She can work at a mathematician of note, um, you know, just hugely creative. So we work really well together because 
how we sort of tell people is I'm the visionary. So I'm like up in the clouds, like floating off and she's on the ground, like pulling me back down, you know, grounding me back on the ground. But so I help her fly and she helps me ground, which works really well. So we knew we would be fine if we were together. Um, and anyway, moved there. So that was that fine. And then six months later, the agreement with that reserve um, was now coming to an end, which we didn't know this was happening. And we now had to go out and find a new location. So we were just given the brief, go out in South Africa and find somewhere we can run these projects, conservation projects. Uh, been doing this for six months. I don't know what I'm doing. So much like the social media again, I didn't know what that was. Now I've got to learn about this. Basically, I'm going to skip forward quite heavy here. We jumped, we found a lodge in Hoodsprate, which is where I now am, which is in Limpopo, which is right beside the Kruger National Park. Um, and uh, I'm not at the lodge anymore, but we had that lodge. That lodge had a capacity could take up to 120 volunteers. I then had a staff of 50 um, that I was running and uh, absolutely wow. and it was great. Uh, my every day was just going out and uh, I was really worried when I made the move from the business world into this conservation world that I was going to lose part of the pace which I really enjoyed about the agency world mm -hmm. but also yeah, the, the business part I was really concerned it was going to be lots of chilled out hugging and looking after animals but actually there was a massive part of it that was business because we were running a business and we had to run every aspect of it so from the financial side into the strategic development of the business um, and then product development and, you know, branding and all sorts of stuff we had to build on. So I could bring everything that I had and really use it here. So I spent most of my time meeting with potential partners, doing all sorts of negotiations and networking and stuff. And I loved that. Um, yeah. And creating new products was great fun. You know, it's like, how can we bring stuff together? Like, what can be, how can we make a conservation impact? Or how can we make a business unit that will sit that has money coming into it that then is used to make a conservation impact um, and finding mm, strategic absolutely. ways to make that loop? Um and that was great, which I have done for the last eight years. Eight years. It would be eight years in September wow. this year. Eight um, years, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, Gosh. Yeah, so that would be eight years. But um, when lockdown happened, in 2019, in fact, um, I was not quite sure. I'd, I'd been, as I was mentioning, I've had a very tough four or five years. It's because I, I've been very uncomfortable in this role for quite a long time. I hit the roof of it. It's been it's been very difficult. The, the hard part was that it was our life. And because we live here in the middle of nowhere, it's a small village hood spray. So for me to get a job here that's actually suitable for my skills and what I want to be doing to satiate what I need, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to work in the local hardware store. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the One Year No Beer podcast, where our mission is to share and tell the stories of the everyday heroes who are taking the steps to make a meaningful impact by changing their relationship with alcohol. If you want to join our community and find out more about the variety of benefits that you can enjoy by becoming part of our 80,000 plus members within our alcohol-free movement, then click the link in the show notes below.